There's one thing that I know for sure. If we will all begin to pray, God will do great things. We can always look and, and, and come up with reasons or whatever or try to speculate, but let's don't. Let's just turn it over to God and let God move and do what he needs to do. And so if you would join me that this week, I, I, I would, I'm going to be praying every day for God to move in the lives of people. Uh, we're beginning to make phone calls uh, to all of our folks, encouraging that any of you receive a phone, a phone call the last couple of days, maybe a message left on your answering machine. Okay, I hope you have. If you didn't, you, you will be getting one. We're going to try to get that done consistently to encourage you, especially those of you that come on a regular basis. We're so grateful for you and your faithfulness because you're the ones that keep our church going. But we want to try to also reach out to those that aren't coming as regularly as they used to and trying to get them uh, motivated to come back to church. Because trust me, and you know as well as I do, that if you stop a behavior, something will take its place. And church is a behavior. You come, you're part of it because you want to be. But I, and I hope that we have a good service here for you, and we have something for you every week. Uh, the music is, to me, one of the, some of the best that we have. And uh, uh, I don't know about your preaching, but anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the parts of the service that we have are just awesome. And you, as people, are the most awesome, and I appreciate you very much. So you, if you'll join me this week in praying, just find your time that works best for you and just pray for God to uh, move in the lives and hearts of people. Uh, it may, we may need a whole new wave of new folks for God to send us. Let's pray for them. And if we'll pray, God will hear our prayers. And, uh, and let's believe that he's going to respond. Donald Robb tells an interesting story. Actually, it's a parable uh, about worship and human nature. Natives of the third world uh, uh, country, they were given a sundial. And it thrilled them to learn that they could tell time by observing the shadow cast by the sun on the face of the sundial. And as days passed, this amazing instrument, this sundial, attracted such interest that the leaders of the village decided, and the, and the tribe decided to, uh, uh, that, that this instrument deserved some type of worship. To the delight of the leaders, large crowds gathered to worship. But then a problem arose. The leaders of the village and the tribe feared for the safety of that sundial. It was decided that a beautiful building be erected around it. They thought that that would protect it from any would-be thieves. Project completed, a formal celebration announced, Thousands gathered, the leaders stood before the sundial and made a startling discovery. The sundial, the center of attraction, was now useless. Rather than admit the error they had made, the leaders decided to preserve it as a shrine for future generations, <laughs> somehow preserving their dignity. 2,000 years ago, the church was given the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we were supposed to take it and share it with the world. But for the most part, we have confined the gift to the church house. We should consider this in relation to worship. How can we truly worship God while we hoard the gospel in these walls? In our text today, in Isaiah 6, as we finish up our three-part series on real worship, the overflow from God in our lives. Isaiah had an incredible vision of God. It led to an honest examination of his life. And that examination resulted in heartfelt confession and ensuing forgiveness from God. What should happen next once you've experienced forgiveness from God? What should be the natural flow? We're going to study today about the outside of worship. Simply put, those that see God will sense a need to tell others about who He is. It's Isaiah's story. But I want you to notice three things about his story. The first is found in verse 8 of chapter 6, where God calls the worshiper to witness. Let's look at verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. So the question that God asks is, Who will go for us? And the answer, Isaiah said, Here I am. Here I am. God asked the question to give Isaiah an opportunity to volunteer his his service. People need to see what Isaiah saw. And the question that God asked him, there are two aspects of it. First of all, actually there's three. First of all, there's divine opportunity. We can join God in His work. You and I can join God in the work that He's called us to do. He's not expecting you and me to sit on the sideline while He just goes wild out there. He expects us to join Him in that work. He asks, who will go for us? Most will remember the old army recruiting poster that said, Uncle Sam needs you. Well, God's pointing off of the the poster and He's saying, Hey, I need you. Hey, I need you. Secondly, you see Isaiah's response and individual availability. We've got to see ourselves in the work of God. He said, here I am. Here I am. Have you ever thought that God can use you to make a difference in someone's eternity? Eternity. You could be a difference maker, and it may be just that one person in the hall of your whole life. But if you aren't ready, and if you don't be available... You may miss it. Take the opportunity. Wednesday night, I have the privilege of teaching young people here at the church. Last Wednesday, at the end of the lesson, four, four of them came to me and said, we need to be baptized. I didn't even talk about baptism. (laughs) Four of them said, we need to be baptized. And they, they vary in ages. I said, well, the first thing. And and one of them wanted to do it that night, right then. 
I said, well, well, hang on. We need to go through the Bible. We need to study. But isn't it encouraging that young people are hearing the Word and responding to the Word? And folks, that's what we're about. We must be about that if we hope to survive. But we've got to be available. Three men died and were waiting to receive entrance through the pearly gates. The first man said to St. Peter, I was a preacher of the gospel. Several faithful, uh, 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 serving faithfully for over 50 years. Peter told him, stand aside for further consideration. The second man said, well, I was a preacher also of the gospel. and I, I served my church faithfully for 40 years. Peter said, well, step aside for further consideration. The third man stepped up and he says, I, I was not a minister, just a government worker with the Internal Revenue Service for six months. Peter told him, step right on in. The first minister came back to Peter and said, hey, what's the deal? How come he goes in before two preachers come in? Peter said, the truth is, in six months, the IRS agent scared the devil out of more people than you ever did in your long lifetime of ministry. <laughs> you might not be as effective as an IRS agent, but I believe that God can use you. Amen? Believe he can do it. Thirdly, you see in this call a personal willingness. You and I have to volunteer. God will not coerce, force, or push you into service. Step up to the plate and volunteer. Isaiah says, Send me. Many of us are familiar with the Miranda Act that instructs all peace officers to give the arrested party a review of their rights as a citizen of the United States of America. Often we hear those famous lines on television, or perhaps even said over the radio, the one that most of us can remember best is, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. Uh, that doesn't apply to your walk with God. You are not, you don't have the right to stay silent. In fact, it's just the opposite. You have the right to speak and you should, and you should do it often. A professor that teaches advertising said, it's human nature to talk about things that excite us. It's human nature to talk about things that excite us. If you want me to talk any longer than I normally do, Get me off on the football thing. Not that you've picked up on that. I love the game. I love all the aspects of the game. I love every piece of the game. It's just something that I love. That's all. Uh, it's one of my... Cindy becomes a football widow. She's much like a coach's wife in the fall. Because I'm gone. Uh, I, I'm so privileged to travel with the team and uh, hang out with them and hang out with the coaches. And I'm sure... For some of them, uh, when they see the preacher standing around there, it kind of holds their tongue in check a little bit. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, I'm just glad to be around. Uh, I even got escorted off the sideline last year in Bartlesville. So, you know, I do my part, too, to, to, bring, <laughs> to bring penalties to the team. And there's nothing that excites me more than to watch Coach Trimble get animated about referees. And he does. I thought I was going to have to restrain Brad last Friday, but... He's real calm in, 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 the, in the face of 
of frustration. I appreciate that. And Brother Brian's just a running backs coach now, so you know he doesn't need, he doesn't worry about sharp objects in his pocket anymore. I'm teasing you, obviously. But we got to volunteer. God calls us to witness, and then secondly, in our text, verses nine and ten, He commands the worshiper to declare that truth. Let's look at nine and ten. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. What shall we say to them, Isaiah asked. God uses the phrase, say to them. So in other words, folks, we've got to speak to them. Social networks, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. People say, I don't like that stuff. I can't stand the internet. I don't want to be on that thing. They call it the internet or whatever. Hey, you know what? If Facebook, the crowd that's on Facebook were a nation... I think they would be the fourth largest in the world. That's how many people are on there. So if you can put the Word of God in there, you're going to at least have millions of people read it. Hello. That who may not hear at church. And so we, we need to be about that. Why do we have a website as a church? So that we can reach a group of people that we don't even see. Because you never know. But if we never try, we'll get the, the result that we're after. If you never try, you'll get the result you're after. So, do we want this room to be full of people? Absolutely. Every chair filled. Amen? Absolutely. Then we have to at least do our part and at least pray about it. And then not only that, but keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and keep inviting and keep inviting and keep asking and encouraging and keep doing that. Because then people might respond. But we've got to do it. We've got to declare the truth. And in this particular two passages, it's an ancient Hebrew pyramidal structure of words. There's an order of the terms in these two verses. There's heart, hands, eyes, and then eyes, hands, and heart. And the poetic structure that's used by the Hebrew writers was to draw attention to the middle element in the triangle of words, or the pyramid of words. And that center element is the word eyes. God was telling Isaiah that the people would not see what the prophet had seen, but he was to tell them nonetheless The hard part is to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, even if it's unpleasant or unwelcome. Any of you had to go to a friend and tell them something straight up about a behavior or something like that? It's painful, isn't it? Because we don't want to do that. Parents especially struggle with telling their children when their behavior is not the best. Because that's a reflection on them. They think 
because they're the ones that are raising that child. The problem is the kids listen to their peers because they're a whole lot smarter than mom and dad. Mom and dad, they're dumber than a brick. What are you talking about? And then they get to a certain age or start to have kids, and all of a sudden, revelation. Well, they aren't as dumb as I thought they were. But heaven forbid they'd come and tell you that. Jeff caught himself one time when he said, Dad, you were right. And I saw him go, (laughs) But I heard it nonetheless. (laughs) You see, you seize those moments, don't you? We've got to seize moments to tell people about the things that God is doing in our lives. And we've got to talk about who God is and why He is. And this passage, verses 9 and 10, reminds us that most people will not receive the truth. I can take the Bible and beat you up with it, but that doesn't mean you're going to receive the truth. It's better if I develop a relationship with you where we can hang out with each other long enough for you to observe my life living what I'm talking about. Hello. Did any of you catch that one? i got to get a relationship so that you can observe my life living what I'm telling you about. Woo! Glory to God. Anybody can beat you up with the Bible. And this one's pretty heavy now. I guess when you put big words, big print in there, it gets heavier. I don't know. But man, if I threw this at you, it might hurt. But it would be better if you saw me living it and practicing it. And then when I said it, it would have some bearing. Amen? Let's try that. Let's try that. This passage, these two verses, remind us that God should be in the center of our message. I want you to look at two phrases Actually, three phrases that are used here. It says, The Lord is calling, but He will not call forever. He wants to save everybody. And and He's ready for anybody who will respond to the invitation. But He doesn't necessarily feel obligated to carry on that conversation or that invitation forever. And you and I don't know when that time is. We, we, think we, we think we want to know. We think we really want to know when's He coming. People ask me all the time, what's the unforgivable sin? Why would they ask me that so they don't do that one? That means they can do all the other ones because those are forgivable. Amen? But I won't do this one. And that's why God was so vague about what is the unfor- unpardonable sin. It's called blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And you go, oh, that's bad. What is that? It's a whole life. It's your whole spirit about you that means I don't have anything to do with God, don't want anything to do with God, don't even care about God. He has no power, no authority over anything, especially me. But if you ever ask the question, what is the unforgivable sin? You haven't gotten there yet (laughs) because you wouldn't really care. Amen? There's a few of those guys running loose. But here's the greatest question for a person like that. What if you're wrong? Yeah. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? But the Lord's calling won't be forever. Secondly, the choice is yours. You can choose life or you can choose death. In the end, every person must make their own decision. But you've got to know this. Whatever decision you make has eternal consequences. Most, the Bible says, 
will reject God's way. They will harden their heart and they won't listen. And they don't care to listen. Because they have two choices. One is, and the Bible says clearly that many will reject the Lord. Jesus said it this way, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many will go that way. In verse 3, J. Vernon McGee wrote this, God never hardens hearts that would otherwise be soft. God simply brings the hardness to the surface. People get their feelings hurt in church, don't they? Preachers say things that offend people. Sometimes, legitimately, they'll say them as they preach. Other times, it's just in conversation. And sometimes, they just make an assumption that something was intended that never was. Ever happened to you? I'm, I'm the only one that, that happens to? Oh, okay. Praise God. I'm grateful. I have a feeling I'm in pretty good company here. Second thing about those choices is that some will receive the offer of God because in verse 13 he talks about the remnant. And if there be yet a tenth, a tenth, a remnant of people, <laughs> that remnant's a, a, an important word because there's a I, I got to tell you about this year's Jinx Trojan football team. I've been associated with this team now going on 17 years. Ever since I've been your pastor here, I've had the privilege of being around that team. Deeper as the years have gone by. This year, a group of seniors came and said, we want to have a Bible study. An on, on, honest to goodness Bible study. So what we've done is developed what the Fellowship of Christian Athletes call as a huddle group. And we're using the FCA Bible that a person... One of the dads is purchasing those Bibles. We're now on our fourth case of Bibles that we're just giving out to the to the kids. And we're working through those and we're having studies together. This is the first time in 17 years I've had a group of people. Now, before the game, individual players will come and say, Preacher man, will you pray for me? Preacher man, will you pray for me? And We don't even get off the field warming up and, and I'm praying for five, six, seven, eight of them. That's awesome, isn't it? What a privilege. What a privilege that God's given me to do that as your preacher. It's an extension of you. Absolutely extension of you. Our coaches that coach these young men. Our head coach. They, these are all men of God. Now, they may not act the way they should all the time. They may not do the things they should do all the time. But there's an underlying faith in their, in their walk that I appreciate. Then, of course, there's Brother Red. Brother Red is the cane is back. He's gone from the cane now to a wet-tipped towel that he pops them with on the sideline. Nobody wants to mess with him. I haven't seen him do tremble yet, but he's, going, he's working his way up. Some will receive that offer, he says. But many will not. You experience that, don't you? You invite people to church. You encourage. And after a while, you get tired of asking them because they keep telling you no, no, no. May I encourage you to never stop asking. Always ask. I prayed for my oldest brother for over 30 years and he finally accepted the Lord. And I wasn't even a part of it, which is even more exciting. 
Because he was listening to somebody else preach the Word to him and he heard it. Hallelujah! Folks, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep inviting. Keep encouraging. Keep asking them. And the third thing I want you to take away or phrase I want you to see in this passage is the time is now. Prepare to meet God. Contrary to popular thought, we are not guaranteed another opportunity to receive the gospel beyond today. You're not guaranteed anything. If you're not ready to meet the Lord, you're not ready to meet the Lord. I don't want to be in your shoes. I don't want to be in your shoes. Live as though you're leaving here today. Remember our series in the spring, 30, 30 days to live. Have you, have you already forgotten about that? Are you living? You're in the dash right now. Every time I'm in a cemetery doing a funeral on the graveside, I, I catch myself looking at the dashes on these, on these tombstones. You're living in the dash. What are you doing with that dash? What's, what's being different in your life? Something ought to be. God calls us as worshipers to witness. He calls us as worshipers and, and then commands us in our worship. And then thirdly, God challenges the worshiper to be persistent in the task. Pick it up at verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland, until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Look at 13. If, then, if even a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. you got to understand the principle of God. He can take one person and build a great church. But look what He could do with 70 to 80 people if we would fall on our knees and cry out to Him. Clean up our lives and call out to Him. What would He do? What could He do? Do we ever pray the prayer? Do you ever pray the prayer, Lord, I want more of Your Holy Spirit released in me? Because you know what I, I believe with all of my heart? It's, it's people who pray that really don't either know what they're praying or really don't want that to happen. Because if you want the Holy Spirit to really move in you, <laughs> and you're upset about change in your life now, you're going to be really upset about the change that He's going to start poking around on. Don't, don't, don't ask the Holy Spirit to start poking on you because He will poke on you. He is living in you just waiting for the opportunity to poke. He's poking now. You just may not hear Him. <laughs> He's poking. That's why you feel bad about things. That's why your conscience bothers you. It's because the Holy Spirit is going, hey, 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 hey. It's like when you're just fixing to do something bad and you get a glimpse of your mom or dad. What do you do? Nope, usually stop. You don't want to get in trouble, number one. Number two, they, they represent authority in your life. You might think you're large and in charge, but somebody's going to be there to stop you. It's really rough when your grandparents see you. Yeah. Because you don't want to disappoint grandparents, right? I mean, they're the money train. You don't want to disappoint the money train. Now, come on. 
And mom and dad ain't going to give you nothing but their grandparents now. They'll flow it out. I mean, it's coming out of the pocket right now. I mean, I, that's why Jeff has that granddaughter back. He's already given her money. I know what's going on. That's awesome, isn't it? How long shall I speak, he asked. Until the houses are without people. It's easy to grow weary when we fail to see fruit from our labor. We are in fact tempted to conclude and throw up our hands and say, what's the use? You work, you pray, you work, you pray, you work, you pray, only to get kicked in the gut for people who were on fire, leave. People who were active, quit. And you get discouraged. Who is the author of discouragement? Satan himself. Who's the one that tells you you can't do it anymore? Satan himself. And when I get to feeling that way, I come up here. (laughs) And I get in front of that thing and I spend some time right there. Come by the church. If you're struggling, come by the church and don't say nothing to Tammy or me. Just come up here and you just go up here. This is your time. Just come up here. Pray to Him. I've still got those red cards up there, by the way. Have you seen? Have you noticed that? And you may be one of those that filled out one of those cards and it's stapled to that cross for a reason because God took care of it. How are you doing with that? Whatever you put up there. One of the kids asked me Wednesday night, did I ever open the box and take the prayer request out? I said, no, there's a lock on the front. Can't you see it? And they said, you mean you don't take them out of there? I said, nope. I said, if you want me to know about it, then tell me about it. But if you put it in that box, it's between you and God. And God knows. And that's all that's important. Is that God knows. And that you've talked to Him about it. Because He's the one that can bring healing. He's the one that can bring forgiveness. He's the one that can lift the burden. And He says, until every house doesn't have people in it, preach to them. But let's look at some of the truths of what these these verses say. In verse 11, He tells him, until every house is empty. So as long as one soul is left, we've got to declare the Gospel so that all can hear it. If, if we believe that all are lost, then we must share the message with all. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So everybody's a sinner and if you stay a sinner, you're going to die. But good news, He's given you a gift. Take it. But no gift is worth a gift and it's not a gift until you take it. Take the gift of salvation. Take the gift of freedom. Take the gift of bondage breaking. Secondly, in verse 12, he says, keep speaking, keep telling them until every hope is gone. The message is couched in the terms of ultimate judgment in verse 12. But until that day comes, there is hope for anybody who would respond. Why aren't we telling them we're hoarding the message? Get it out, get it out, get it out. Verse 13, keep telling them until every heart has responded. We can be free from the responsibility when everyone has heard and had that opportunity to respond to the Gospel. Despite what choice they make, 
Your job is to take the message. Their job is to receive it or not. And if they reject it, you can only pray for them. Amen? But if you never take the message, if you never take the message, since we don't know who will believe, we we must declare the message to everybody we can. Paul said of his ministry at Ephesus, I am free from the blood of all men. In other words, he has a clean hands ministry. (laughs) Because he knew that he had taken that gospel to everyone that he possibly could in that particular setting. Can we say the same thing? Can we say the same thing? And then verses 11 through 13, he tells them to keep saying it, keep speaking it, keep telling it until you hear God release you. God told Isaiah to fulfill the calling until God told him to do something different. That hadn't changed. And it applies to you and me. People will say, well, you know, I served in the, I've served in the church for years. It's great. That's great. At what point did you get a chance to retire? Now, you can retire from working and all that stuff, but you can't retire from serving God. You can't. It's not, it's not in the vocabulary. You gotta, now, you may have to shift what you do. I told you the story of Charlotte Grove. Played the organ for years here at the church before I ever got here. But I was privileged to spend some time with Charlotte. And Charlotte used to tell me in her later years, she said, said, Preacher, I just don't feel useful at all. Because, see, she considered playing the organ her usefulness. I said, "Uh, Charlotte, do you pray? She said, oh, every day. I said, would you do me a favor and add me and my strength my spiritual protection, would you add that to your prayers every day? She said, well, I think I could do that. And then as I met with her at other times and we'd have lunch together, she would comment to me. She said, something's going on. What's going on, preacher? And usually there was something going on either in my own personal life or here at the church or whatever. But how did she know that? I mean, I didn't call her. How did she know that? That prompting of the Spirit, see? Because she was tapping into prayer, praying for the preacher at the church. Yeah, you pray for me. You lift me up to God. I need it. I need it, folks. Under spiritual attack all the time. Because he wants people like me to stop preaching. It's an anomaly to find a preacher who's been in one church for as long as I've been in this church. It is. The average stays two years. Off you go. You get through your hot sermons and you're done. <laughs> you're done. We need to be about the business of telling people until God releases us. There's a story of an Atlantic passenger lying on his bunk in a storm, deathly sick, seasick actually. He heard the cry, man overboard. And he thought to himself, well, I, can't help, I can't help the guy. Maybe God can help him. There's really nothing I can do. But then he thought for a minute. He said, well, I can at least hold a lantern up to the porthole. So he did. The man was rescued. And when he was recounting the story the next day, he said, I was going down into the darkness for the last time when someone put a light in a porthole. And that light shone on the water. And the sailor saw my hand and reached and pulled me up out of the water to safety. Folks, there's an opportunity if you'll shine your light. I've got two quotes to close with I want you to look at. One is from Charles Spurgeon. 
If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Wow. But here's my very favorite quote from a missionary in the 1800s named C.T. Studd. I just love the name, don't you? And I stay out of his way just because of his name. But look what he said. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. <laughs> That's the guy I want to hang around, isn't you? But boy, so many of us, we want the church bell or the church building. So many people, they tell me, well, I'm just not being fed. That's because you're not opening the book and reading it yourself. I'm going to give you something to feed off of if you come here. But if you're, only let, if you're letting me feed you one hour a week, you're malnourished already. You've got to open that book, folks. You've got to get into the book. You've got to spend some time in the Word of God. Well, I don't know where to start. Start with the book of Proverbs and the Gospel of John. Digest them. Memorize them. You can't exhaust it. Well, then where do I go? We'll, we'll cover that when you get those two done. Spend about a week and a half, two weeks, maybe even a month. Just read John 3.16 every day and ask God to speak to you about what John 3.16 says. Because see, for most people, they've been through the motions of salvation, but they've never been through the transformation of salvation. And we need to find the transformation. But some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I love that. Do you care enough about the lost to want to invite them to find Jesus? Lord, this, this morning as we prepare for our invitation, we need you to be real in each of us. We need you to do something mighty in each of us. Father, more than anything, we need you to touch us. Salvation comes through grace and mercy, but it never gets launched until your people tell somebody about Jesus. God, would we have the courage to say something about Jesus? God, we love you. So many of us are frightened when it comes to telling others about your son Jesus because we believe we'll be judged in some way. They're going to ask a question that we won't have an answer for. The good news is you never called us for our ability. You called us for our availability. Oh God, will we be available? Would we be real and honest and genuine? And would people see change in us? That's the message. That's the story we need to tell is not so much with words, but with our lives. And God, would this church become a beacon of light to a dark world? Are we going to be satisfied that we've heard, oh boy, that's a good sermon today, preacher, and do nothing about it when we walk out the doors? Or are we going to do something about it? Or we're just going to huddle up like we always do and go, whoo, that was awesome. And then on Monday, do nothing different. God, move today. 
Move today. Move today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some, some